Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? How we doing? Welcome back to the show. This is episode 73 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. You're tuned in to Daryl, and I'm your host as always. Good to be here, and uh, and glad you're joining us again. Um, starting off straight away, uh, thanks for the feedback. We continue to get more and more feedback from you guys, which is excellent. Um, we know what we're doing right. We're starting to know what, you know, some of the things you guys, you know, prefer not to have and blah, 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 right? Just refining the process as we're always trying to do. Um, so all that feedback um, and the comments coming our way is really positive. So uh, appreciate that. Um, if you're a first-time listener, you can get us on SoundCloud, you can get us on iTunes, you can get us on Spotify, although we're still having some issues with that feed, and I'm not entirely sure how to sort it, because, you know, with all these big tech companies, you can't really get to a person, um, so it's a bit difficult. Um, I will continue to hit them up on Twitter and other channels like that, see if I can't get some sort of uh, resolution to it, but you can get the, the uh, you can get the episodes up until about three shows ago on Spotify, uh, and of course, SoundCloud, if I didn't say that already. Uh, and then if you want links to the show and any sort of updates that we might be putting out, we don't use it a lot for updates, but, uh, uh, you know, if we've got something that we want to kind of promote, like the screen time challenge that we were doing last episode, uh, we'll put some notifications up there, a bit of information about what we're trying to do, why we're trying to do it. Um, so you can always get links to our shows on the Facebook page and the Twitter page as well. And those are both at Quiet Part Loud. So hit us up. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, any questions, any comments, any feedback. If you want to just tell us that we're shit and uh, go fuck ourselves, then uh, then by all means do that. Um, and if you're enjoying the content, let us know that as well so we can uh, so we can keep this track moving forward. Um, I want to start off by recapping uh, the screen time challenge that I just mentioned in terms of uh, it being a week old now and whether or not you guys, because I haven't seen a lot of posts on that, I'll be quite honest, um, which is uh, which is a bit of a shame. But, you know, we keep pushing it. We're going to keep pushing it out there. This is not something that, you know, was a flash in the pan. I truly believe in this. And uh, and I think once we start to get some, some traction with it, I think it's going to really you know, build momentum and, uh, and help quite a few f- folks out, uh, because my screen time itself is down 16% week on week. And I just use that as, you know, I use that opportunity to, you know, for focus more time on the family, more time on the piano, uh, and just doing things that I like and that are more productive for my overall, uh, life, well-being, you know, mental health, all that stuff. Um, again, committed to this, effort of reducing time on social media, reducing time just staring at our screens. Uh, So if you want to get involved in this, uh, we're going to be posting the updates from from my screen time summaries every week. And if you want to get involved, that would be great. Just tag us in your Twitter post at Quiet Part Loud, hashtag screen time challenge, and share a picture of the progress that you've made on your reduction of staring and scrolling through a mobile phone and um you know basically spending hours in the abyss of nothingness which is social media um this like i said this is something that we're that i'm really really keen on on getting some traction with because i think uh, i just it's like i said last week it's just 
I mean, it's just a cesspool of nothing. You know, you just you just get lost, bogged down in 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 just junk. And most of the stuff that you're reading on social media is untrue, um, slanted towards a biased opinion and trying to get you to engage your eyeballs, if nothing else, so they can sell ads against you. And that's it. It's a very, very simple process. So we want to remove that power uh, because what we're doing now is we're creating the new Carnegies of the world uh, that run the tech companies, Bezos, you know, the uh, the guys at Google, you know, Zuckerberg, you know, the, the people that run Tencent, you know, these, these are the new Carnegies. These are the new J.D. Rockefellers. These are, you know, these are the new kind of rulers of the world, as it were. And, you know, the way technology is moving on an upward curve, you know, the rapid expansion and capabilities of technology. If we don't unshackle ourselves from it now, there is a real danger that we never will and won't be able to even if we want to in the future. Um, I was listening to somebody the other day and they were talking about how a friend of theirs tried to conduct a normal sort of day's business or a week. I can't remember exactly the timeline, but they, they just tried to go about their lives, shopping, entertainment, you know, socializing, whatever it was. And they tried to do it without the big companies. So they didn't listen to music on Spotify or Apple Music. They didn't shop on Amazon. They didn't use Google for searching information or directions or any information that they needed in that regard. Uh, they didn't use any social media. And it basically boiled down to the fact that they couldn't do it. <clears throat> they couldn't do it for any sustained amount of time. And I wonder how you guys feel about that because I, I, I got a pretty strong feeling that you'd be exactly the same way. If I said to you, let's, you know, let's take screen time challenge to another level. And we're not going to because, you know, the screen time challenge is a, is a, uh, you know, it, it it's an event and as it says in the title, it's a challenge of itself. Just reducing the amount of time you spend staring at a seven inch screen is a challenge that is quite a, quite a lofty challenge in itself to reduce that time down to an hour per day. If I'm not paying attention, I'll do an hour before I even get to work. And that's pathetic. Self-admitted, that is pathetic. So, like I said, I'm down 16% week on week, and I'm continuing to push that. My next move, I was thinking about this the other day, my next move is I'm deleting the Facebook app from my phone because the amount of time I spend on my phone correlates directly with the amount of time I spend on Facebook because I very, very, very rarely use Facebook on desktop. So I figured if I get rid of my Facebook app, then that's gonna drastically reduce my screen time. The only issue with that is posting stuff about the show or my personal training business onto those pages which reside in Facebook. However, that could be done in a really systematic way, in a really scheduled way, just via the desktop, just via my laptop. So I think that's something I'm gonna commit to and I think that's gonna have a drastic effect on me reducing my overall screen time. If I just can't go into it because it's not there, I wonder how long it'll take me just to forget about it. And then I'll have scheduled times, maybe the pop-up of my calendar where it's like, 
update social media um, pages or something like that. But I'm truly serious about it, guys. I, 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 want us, I want us all collectively, I want us to get our screen times down because nothing good is coming of this. And we don't know the full extent of the problems. So I'm just trying to offer a solution because like I said before, if you're not an active part of a solution, then you are an active part of the problem. And you are furthering the mission of these tech companies and these new, you know, kings of industry who don't give a flying fuck about you. They want your money and they want your eyeballs. And if they turn you into a zombie and a lazy, useless thing, you know, just a, a blob, just a meat entity, they don't care. As long as you keep processing transactions, as long as you allow them to sell your attention to someone else to flog you some product that you don't need. So I'm trying to make this happen and I want you guys to get on board with it if this is something that you recognize within yourself as being an issue. You have to ask yourself just a very, very simple question. Do I spend too much time on my mobile phone? And if you want to ask yourself a second question, do I spend too much time on social media doing and accomplishing nothing? If the answer to those two questions is yes, then you need to join us in this challenge. And all we're doing is looking at a Sunday morning report that pops up in your notifications if you turn it on or you can go into it via your settings, have a look at your summary, take a screenshot of your summary and post it to Twitter. That takes all of a minute all of a minute so i'm not i'm not asking for a huge chunk of that hour's worth of your social media usage i just want to know how you're doing in terms of getting yourself off the tit weaning yourself because this is what it is and anybody that turns around and says to you, I could do that, no problem. An hour a day, fucking easy. Okay, do it. Show me for a week. Just a week. Because I guarantee after a week, there's going to be a light bulb moment that realizes, oh, wow, this is actually an addiction. And I'm not even aware of it, right? Because it's not like you jones for it. You don't jones for it like an alcoholic or a crackhead, right? You don't jones for it because it's always there. It's always there. It's not like we're so starved, you know, financially that, you know, we can't afford a mobile phone. Everybody's got one. So it's not even like you you have to fiend for it. There's no like, oh my God, I can't wait to get back to my phone. Oh my God, I can't wait to check Facebook. Oh my God, I can't wait to check Instagram. Oh my God, I can't wait to see who sent me something on WhatsApp. Oh my God, what's going on on Twitter? I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to shake. I need my fix. I need my Snapchat fix. It's not like that because it's always there. It's always there. So you don't get the chance to fiend out. You don't get the chance to recognize that it is a problem. So come on and join us with this thing because I think more of you need to admit the fact that there is an issue here. So if you're inclined, we've got somewhere for you to go. And that's a screen time challenge and that's exactly how I just described it. So um, so keep those updates rolling in. Um, I'm gonna keep posting mine because 
you know, what if, what are we if we're not accountable to ourselves? And if I set out, you know, a challenge for everybody else, then you better believe that I'm going to be the one that kind of leads the way on it, you know, and pushes forward by example. So check it out. Let us know what you think. It's not, you know, we're not doing a ton of content on it. We're just posting screenshots and saying, listen, I'm down 16% week on week. And I use my free time to, you know, spend a couple more hours on the piano. Boom, that's it. So that's that. And we're going to keep pushing this out kind of like once an episode, just doing a how's your screen time challenge coming, you know, or maybe we'll start reading out updates of people who are taking part and, you know, kind of evidencing some of the things that they're able to do now that they've got a little bit more free time and they've alleviated themselves and unshackled themselves from, you know, from their, from their mobile device and from social media. So uh, good luck if you're in it. Um, I wish you all the best and we're going to continue to try to bring that number down ourselves. So uh, I think it went from four and a half hours a day to something like three hours and 37 minutes a day or something like that. So it's a 45 minute day reduction, but bits and bits, right? We're not asking for the whole cold turkey. We're asking you week by week to to kind of bring this down and just be considered in uh, in your methodology around that. Because if you did go, go cold turkey, you probably would get some withdrawals. You'd be like, where's my fucking phone? I need to check. What I, somebody sent me a notification. <coughs> just even saying it out loud is absurd, right? <laughs> um, what else is going on in the world? Uh, lots <laughs> is, the, is the short answer. Um, I wanted to get a podcast out to you guys uh, on Friday initially. And then on Monday as my second option. But work, life, everything else kind of took over and I didn't get an opportunity to do that. So I want to jump on the mic uh, as quickly as I could. Um, unfortunately, it's taken me to Tuesday evening to do it, but we're here now and uh, we've got a little bit of time. So what I'm hoping to do this week is actually get out two and possibly three episodes. Um, but again, I don't want to make promises I can't deliver on. And we'll see how it goes. But we're here now. And speaking of absurdities, I want to touch on this Jesse uh, Smollett uh, incident, if you want to call it that. Uh, I mean, unless you've been underneath a stone in a forest on an island in the middle of the ocean, you probably would have heard about this. Uh, what I'm talking about is the actor that was formerly on Empire, that um, he is a black gentleman who is also um, a homosexual gentleman who is an actor on the successful TV show, I guess it's successful, um, Empire. And if you don't know, he was the victim of a hate crime. He went to the police after the attack with a noose still around his neck, saying he had been assaulted by two white gentlemen who had subsequently beat him up, put a noose around his neck, called him the N-word multiple times, poured bleach on him, and were screaming MAGA, MAGA, MAGA in their MAGA hats. Now, he walked into the police station with a noose around his neck. He also had a Subway sandwich in his hand and also didn't have any marks on his face. Alarm bells began to ring immediately. Following on from that, he did a uh, an interview on 
Good Morning America or something like that, in which he called himself, uh, what was it, the gay Tupac or something like that, that he was being, uh, you know, criminalized and all of this stuff. And pe when people were questioning the validity of his story, uh, <coughs> you know, he refused to uh, hand over his mobile phone when the police wanted to do some investigation on on that. Uh, alarm bells continued to ring. A couple days later, momentum started to gather around the fact that this story probably wasn't very legitimate. And following on from that, it came out that they had surveillance footage of Jussie Smollett in a hotel or an elevator with two enormous black gentlemen. The two enormous black gentlemen were apprehended by the police and questioned in relation to the attack, to which point they informed the police in Chicago that Jussie Smollett had paid them $3,500 to carry out the attack and make it seem like he was the victim of a hate crime. He paid them with a check, so I don't know if this is a staged hate crime in 1994, but who the fuck pays anybody with a check anymore? Not to mention his absolute obtuse behavior in terms of denying this, claiming his victim status, um, you know, and just really being an overall arrogant cocksucker about the whole incident. Now, the maniacal failure that took place with him staging this hate crime is par for the course because somebody said it perfectly. It's like when you let an actor write the script, right? The story was all fucked up. The timelines were all messed up. The pieces didn't add up. And the two guys that he hired to do it were extras on Empire, the same show that he was subsequently looking, I guess. So they were extras on the show. So he's not a very smart individual. Let's get that straight out of the way. But the story that he concocted was one that, you know, was written on the back of a matchbook by a three-year-old. Um, you're messing with and trying to fool Chicago PD who see this kind of thing and worse every single day. So you're not going to pull the wool over their eyes too easily, especially if you're some idiot actor, right? So turns out that the reason that he did it and now has subsequently been arrested and charged with a felony is because he wasn't happy with his $65,000 a week job on Empire. He was worried that he was going to be written out of the show, and he thought that becoming a victim, because let's not forget, preceding all of this hate crime attack, he had written a, falsified a letter that was written to him with threatening intentions and, you know, all of this malicious stuff in it. You know, he sent that to himself, <coughs> and then followed up by staging a hate crime. And he did this because he wanted to raise his profile as a, you know, as a progressive social justice warrior that was being attacked by the far right. Now, obviously it backfired. Obviously he's been charged and rightly so. Rightly so. He's been fired from Empire. He'll be uh, 
an absolute pariah in the entertainment community. I don't see him working anymore. Uh, I don't think anybody would touch that with a 10-foot pole because of the liability around it. But what I wanted to bring this up and bring this all to a head on is <clears throat> the fact that nobody's really talking about this in terms of its in terms of its uh, abhorrent nature. Now, if you want to make yourself a victim, there are ways of doing it. I'm sure this isn't the first time, but for statistic reasons, I want to just preface this with the fact that only something like 0.4 or 0.5% of all hate crimes reported are shown to be false or falsified. In most cases, overwhelming majority of cases, when somebody reports a hate crime, it's true. <clears throat> so with that in mind, let's break this down a little bit because had this been, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go a couple different ways with this, right? First, had this been a white actor who it had then turned out was lying. Let's, so let's take the exact scenario I just outlined that this Jussie Smellett had concocted. Say this had been a white actor <clears throat> and he was trying to frame two black guys and it turned out exactly the way this had. He faked the whole thing. There was no attack. He hired a couple of guys to kind of maybe rough him up or push him around or cut him a couple times or whatever. But ultimately, there was no black guys that were attacking him in a race-related hate crime style attack. That didn't happen. That guy would be on the lips of every progressive in the world. White privilege, you know, this is the problem with the patriarchy. This is, you know, this is the problem when you let men run the world. You know, you name it, there would have been an attack. It would have been all guns blazing. They would have called for this guy to be hung, drawn, and quartered, right? Think about it. Look what they did to Louis. I'm talking about Louis C.K. Look what they did to him. <clears throat> and he jerked off in, in front of a couple people. He didn't even rape anybody. He didn't assault anybody other than like taking his little dick out in front of people and beating off. But that's perverse, you know, in a different way, right? But they wanted him, they wanted him gone. The social progressives, the part of the community that this Jussie Smollett identifies with, they wanted Louis's head on a fucking spit, right? They wanted it on a stake outside of the White House, Right? Even now, when he tries to come back to comedy, these social justice warrior assholes are now like, oh, get him out of here. He's making these controversial jokes that are just off-color to try to get himself attention. No, that's Louis' comedy. But the point is, when a white man does something like that or a white person does something like that, it's generally a white man. I don't know why I'm saying white person. It's generally a white guy. When a white guy does something like that, the slightest infraction, or you know, maybe it's not the slightest infraction, but it's not faking a hate crime, they want his head on a stake. And they want him ostracized for life, right? White privilege and all the other stuff that I mentioned. But that condemnation comes from the black community, 
the progressive community, the female community, you know, all of these progressive communities and all of these kind of minority communities, they all, they all pile on. Not until he was charged, Jussie was charged with a felony, did people finally start to say something about how disgusting this is. Because I want to break it down for you. And this is my, this is my true thoughts on it. He staged a hate crime. There's no doubt about that now, right? So my question is, and my thinking around this, is staging a hate crime not still a hate crime? Because in my version of this, in my thinking of this, in my analysis of this, it is. If I fake a hate crime, my intention was to draw attention to another part of the community and have have them lambasted as the enemy. This is what he was trying to do. He was trying, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of Trump. <clears throat> I'm not a fan of these idiots that wear the MAGA hats and, you know, scream fucking USA all over the place, redneck bullshit. I'm not into that. What I'm into is getting along and trying to make this society that we have harmonious. Now, when you've got somebody who is willing to fake a hate crime to progress their own career and their own profile as a social justice, ultra-progressive, liberal, you know, warrior, when all they're really doing is virtue signaling constantly, when they go and cross that line towards, uh, into conducting a fake hate crime that could then have negative and seriously volatile consequences against a portion of the community because of this falsified attack, does that not constitute a hate crime? The reason I'm saying this and the reason I classify it as a hate crime is because what would have happened if the black community in Chicago would have had the same reaction that, let's say, Liam Neeson admitted to having on uh, that interview that he did and then on the Good Morning America interview, right? And if you haven't heard that, let me break it down for you. Liam Neeson, years and years and years ago, had a friend, a female friend, who was violently attacked and raped by a black man in Ireland. <coughs> when he found out that his friend was victimized, he said, who did this to you? And she said, I was attacked by a black man, and this is what he did to me. Liam Neeson's response in that moment of rage, fury, revenge, you know, bloodthirsty revenge mentality, now admittedly the wrong way to deal with it by himself, was to find any black guy and kill him. And he stated quite frankly, he didn't care that it was a black guy. If it was a Chinese person that had raped his friend, he would have said, find me any Chinese person. If it was a Polish person, a Russian person, a white person, an Asian person, he would have been looking for someone in that community to fuck up in response to his friend being victimized. He didn't say, I hate black people and I just went out like looking for them, even though the person that raped my friend was a white dude, right? It wasn't that. It was just like for like hatred. It was like for like outrage, like for like visceral reaction to someone that you're close to being attacked. Now, 
<coughs> I actually commend Liam Neeson for coming out and being honest like that because it's 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 surfacing thoughts that a lot of people have that don't admit to. And we need that openness and that frankness of conversation to progress ourselves further into this place of, you know, a more harmonious society. But what if, based on Jussie Smollett's fake accusations that he was attacked by two white guys wearing MAGA hats, that the black community in Chicago went out on the streets like they have done with other cases before, justifiably so, and they went hunting for white guys in MAGA hats. And what if a couple of those guys would have gotten found? Even though they were completely innocent of said hate crime, they got fucked up, put in the hospital, worse even. It's Chicago, remember? Then what? Does he go to jail on uh, aggravated uh, manslaughter? Inciting a hate crime that then led to bodily harm or death? Is that not a manslaughter charge? So I'm saying that this motherfucker came out and did something for his own self-preservation, his own career progression, whatever. And they're looking at it like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. He's such a stupid motherfucker. And he is. And if you don't find this funny, there's something wrong with you. Because I do find this funny. I find this hilarious that he could be so stupid. <clears throat> but I also want to flip it on its head and look at this from a serious nature because this is part of the problem. And this is part of the problem with the social justice warriors, the virtue signaling motherfuckers out there that have nothing better to do than make themselves a victim at all times, looking for looking for the atypical oppressor, right? And in, in America, in these times, that is Donald Trump. That is white men, right? So they're looking for ways to make... The white privileged man, the oppressor, and the abuser. Right? So, what if the reaction of the Chicago public would have been, let's go and avenge Jussie Smollett's attack by fucking up some white dudes? Doesn't matter who, let's just find them, and if they're wearing MAGA hats, we're getting them. That is a fucking hate crime. Even though that didn't happen, that is inciting a hate crime. So in turn, he faked one. And by faking one, he committed one. That's how I'm looking at this. So I want this motherfucker held accountable. Because this is what happens when fake outrage runs amok. And we live in a victim... Of a victim... A self-identified victim society, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically <clears throat> identify myself as a victim. That's my oppressor, and anything we can do to bring that oppressor down must be done. Jussie, this Jussie guy was one of those. All you have to do is look at his social media um, page on Twitter, and he's got the balls to stand there doing a photo shoot with the word "truth" all over his shirt. It's like, nah, nah you got it wrong, mate. You're a liar. You're a liar, and worse than that. You incite, you, you could have potentially incited violence in which a riot could have occurred. Do we have to look back at Trayvon Martin? Do we have to look back at some of these things that have happened? Where the black community has legitimately been wronged and victimized and seeing what their response and their reaction to these events has been? 
And can we not extrapolate the fact that if you were to commit a hate crime, that there could potentially be a powder keg of violence that erupts in the city that is already so embedded in a violent culture like Chicago that that could have gotten out of control really, really quick. So this guy basically just made it so that Donald Trump now has a little bit more ammunition to put in his stupid fucking gun to fire back at the other side. He escaped this thing with the skin of his teeth. And I don't care if he goes to prison. And I don't care if he's charged with a felony and convicted of inciting, you know, falsifying a hate crime. He falsified a hate crime, but in turn committed one. And I think he should be charged accordingly to that. We can't have this. This sort of thing can start a race war. <clears throat> we have to be more nuanced. We have to be more aware. We have to hold our tongues for half a second before we jump out and support people just because they're claiming a victim status. Do the research. Hang on a minute. You don't have to be... You don't have to be the first one that comments on it, supporting the social justice warrior movement, this virtue signaling movement. You don't have to be the first one in line. Take your time. Examine the facts. And just wait. Because if we do, man, we're going to turn everybody into a victim. And if you turn everybody into a victim, that means there's a small amount of people who are victimizing them. And those people, those people will then be isolated and attacked. And I hate to say it, man, because, you know, there is a lot of white privilege out there. And there is a lot of like, you know, oh, fuck, you got, you know, you got real lucky in the whole birth lottery thing, you know, totally get it. Totally get it. But that doesn't mean that we make everybody an oppressor. I've never enslaved anybody. I've never fucking treated anybody racist. Why should I get lumped in with all of this? You know, looked at like I'm just because of the pigmentation of my skin. And I get it. Decades and centuries of this on the other side of the coin. I get it. But tit for tat, man. Jesus Christ. We can't go around making up hate crimes. You just can't. This is nonsense. This is the ultra-progressive victim, uh, blame, convenient, outrage, virtue signaling culture. This is what this is. It's so easy to see it. It's gross to look at. But I'm glad we now have a very, 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 very clear example of how this happens in terms of creating a victim status. Because most of this stuff is that on a much less degree by, you know, obviously. But that's what this is. This is how can I make myself a victim to get more attention from the ultra-liberal progressives so that I can be their poster boy of victimization and strength and courage. I came out of this attack 
I survived it. I'm going to stay positive. No, motherfucker, you did it. You faked it. And in faking it, set the cause back. Because I'm all for equality. I'm all for us getting on the same level as each other. Where appropriate. But this is... This is how you set your community back. This is a black gay man. He did it double time. But it's just disgusting. And I'm, I'm just really surprised that nobody's really touched on this hate crime aspect of it. Because that's what this is. You, he could have incited a race war. Because he wanted more money and more fame. And he wanted to pander to the community of fans that he has, which knows he's this social justice warrior. That's what this boils down to. And he could have incited a race war off the back of it. You know how volatile Chicago is? Good Lord. So let's see what happens with this guy, right? Let's see what this ha happens to this guy. But I hope they make an example of him. I hope they make an example of him. Just like I hope they make an example of R. Kelly. You know, this is a guy I grew up with, man. This is a guy, my very first cassette tape was 12 Play by R. Kelly. I listened to that shit till the tape broke. And I'm not lying to you. I've been an R. Kelly fan forever. When did that come out? 1992? 1993? So I've been on it since then. Until about 2000, whenever TP2 came out. And I think that was me. I was a rap after that. I just grew out of it. So, I mean... I don't think there's ever been any real surprise here. There's never been any real doubt that he's a fucking he's a proper weirdo, you know, proper pest. Um, but again, it's one of those things, right? Everybody knew Harvey Weinstein was fucking like messing around with these women. Everybody knew that this dark shit was going on, but nobody said anything. And this is kind of the same thing. Now, I haven't watched Surviving R. Kelly yet, but I'm going to watch it. But apparently that had a big, big push towards him being um, uh, kind of arrested in, in Chicago. He turned himself in on, I can't, I think like, was it 10 counts or something like that? But again, he's, he's, I, I hope they make an example of him. You know, like, fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. You can't go around treating people like that. You can't piss on 15-year-olds or 14-year-olds. You can't lock people in the fucking basement. Like, marrying Aaliyah when she was 12. Like, 13 years old. Like, get out of here, man. So, at the first inkling of any of this stuff that I can remember, I switched off of R. Kelly. I just wasn't interested anymore. But I grew out of that whole kind of 90s hip-hop culture in terms of like, you know, the oversized clothes and the, just the, the pimp lifestyle. Like, it's just so played out. And he seems to keep that shit going or trying to, but it looks like the jig is up, you know. And uh, the jig is up? What? It, <laughs> the jig is up! <laughs> From the 1930s? Um, you know, but... I hope they make an example of him because we can't have people like this around. Like, we don't need people like you around. Like, Jussie Smollett. We don't need people like you around. Harvey Weinstein. We don't need people like you around. We're trying to get better. But there's this part of the community 
that's being exposed now for the dirt bags that they are. That coupled with the fact that you've got people out there searching for victims, searching for oppressors, trying to make themselves victims makes this even worse. And both of those types of people we don't need. Just like the tiki torch carrying redneck fucks in Charleston. We don't need you. We're trying to do producti like productive stuff here, right? We don't need you. So make examples of these guys, man. Get rid of them. Ostracize them. They want to work a cashier job. They want to go and get a retail job somewhere, work in a gas station somewhere. Go and do that. Out of sight, out of mind. <clears throat> but you can't be in the public eye. Looked at it as like some legitimate artist. You're a fucking scam artist. You're a liar. You're a cheater. And we don't need people like that. More people that we, you know, staying with this progressive stuff, right? It just reminded me of something else that happened this week. Martina Navratilova, right? One of the most famous, successful female tennis players in the history of the sport. Absolute icon, uh, you know, openly gay, um, you know, lesbian tennis player is amazing. You know, she commentates at Wimbledon. She spoke out last year, the year before, against the discrepancy of pay between her and John McEnroe, you know, and, uh, you know, how he's getting 10 times what she was getting. You know, so she was like, you know, she's always been outspoken for, you know, the LGBTQ com community rights, you know, gay and lesbian rights, um, you know, gender rights, all of these things she's been an advocate for across her career. And she was on the board of the uh, of an LGBTQ um, organization. I can't remember what it was, uh, the exact organization, but you know, pretty prominent position. She was a, she was a board member of that. Obviously, for her, you know, her clout and her name, and you know, all the things that she's done across the career, career that she's had. Um, well, she was removed from that board, like. It was either last week or the week before. And she was removed from the board of the LGBT community, uh, Q community organization. Do you know why? Because she said that trans women have an unfair advantage and shouldn't be allowed to compete in women's tennis. She said, I'll repeat it again. She said that trans women, being a man transitioning into a woman should not be allowed to compete in women's tennis because they have an unfair advantage. She was removed from the board of the LGBTQ community organization because she made a statement that is absolutely correct. But because these progressives don't want to hear that shit and you can't go against you know, the trans community in any way, shape, or form, you can't be anything other than all in. So one of the biggest heroes and champions of gay and lesbian rights over the past 25, 30 years has now been ostracized, removed and ostracized from one of the community's uh, boards because she said something that is factually accurate. And I'm going to tell you why it's factually accurate. Because if you spend your life as a man 
going through puberty, into your early adulthood, so on and so forth, you have had an injection of testosterone that will allow your bones to be denser, your shoulders to generate more torque and force, your, uh, your athletic potential as a man is more than a female. Is that controversial to say? Maybe, but it's fucking true. Okay? That's just physiology. Now, I am not saying that every woman in the world will perform less than every man in the world because if you think for a goddamn minute that I could beat or even compete or even hold someone like Serena Williams' jockstrap fucking... <laughs> um, I couldn't even hold her tennis racket bag, okay? I'm not even worthy to be in the same fucking stadium as an athlete of Serena Williams' character and caliber, right? Even the 100th ranked female tennis player in the world would beat the shit out of me in tennis 10 times out of 10, 100 times out of 100. That is absolute fact, right? So I am not saying that. So don't get it twisted. What I'm saying is from a physiological point of view, there are absolute biometric markers that put men in a superior place to women physically. This is why they don't allow men to compete in fighting against women. So I'll ask you a question. If a man transitioned to a woman in his adult life and then wanted to become a female boxer or mixed martial arts star, would the LGBTQ community be okay with that? I don't think so, because they know that that man is going to beat the shit out of most women. Once that man transitions into a woman, he has an unfair advantage biologically because of the testosterone that's been pumped into his system for decades, years and years and years, over a woman that has had, has had none of that. <clears throat> so what Martina Navratilova is saying is absolutely true. A trans woman, someone who was a man that transitioned into a woman, would have an unfair advantage competing against women tennis players who are just natural, traditional women, right? Reference this by a high school athletic competition where... There was a, um, it, I think it was 100 meters or something like that. Well, in the female 100 meters, they had three transgender uh, athletes competing in that. They got gold, silver, and bronze. What do we need to talk about here? Do we want to continue to ignore physiology, biometrics, evolution, genetics? Do we want to just ignore all of this stuff for the sake of being ultra progressive or as progressive as possible and not offending anybody? Right? Remember the video? It was like a month ago of uh, there was a trans woman in a shop that clearly looked like a dude, right? Had not gone full op. And the poor bastard behind the counter in this convenience store accidentally said, sir. 
And this woman, this trans woman, freaked the fuck out, went irate. You, if you haven't seen it, Google it. It's on YouTube. Because it only takes one hiccup from the cash reg, uh, the guy behind the cash register to call her uh, a him when his feminine appearance, conduct, tone, whatever you want to call it, turns into a, you want to see a man? I'll show you a man. You want to see, oh, no. He says, you want to see a sir? I'll show you a sir, motherfucker. Right? Gets real grimy with it all of a sudden. Fucking smashes the stands down, gets real aggressive with it. Do not tell me there are no biometric markers that increase the strength, the density of bone mass, and all of this stuff that have a physical, that give a physical advantage to somebody who was a man that transitions into a woman against women. It's just nonsense. And it's also nonsense that this ultra-progressive community banned one of their biggest champions because she said something that was factually accurate. This is a problem. This is a massive problem, guys. The fuck are we talking about here? We have to call out absurdity when we see it. And don't be afraid to do that because you might offend somebody. People have the right to be offended, but it doesn't make them right. You can have an opinion about anything, but it doesn't mean you're factually accurate. Come to me with facts and we can talk. Come to me with an opinion and we got to assess what that opinion is and the merits of that opinion. Because you're, just because you got an opinion on something doesn't mean you're right. And just because you're offended by something I say doesn't mean I'm wrong. And that's exactly the case in this instance here with Martina Navratilova. She said something, she's not wrong about what she said. And she shouldn't have been ostracized for it. But you know what? Fuck that group because they're not better off without her. This is absurd. And we have to call out absurdity. The next point of absurdity that I want to talk about, because I just love swimming in the absurd, is this um, is this clip I saw on YouTube with uh, Tucker Carlson. If you don't know who Tucker Carlson is, Tucker Carlson is a first-class asshole that presents a show on Fox News. And I've said to you guys many times before, I watch Fox News like I watch CNN, like I watch Reuters, like I watch the Associated Press, like I watch RT, like I watch Al Jazeera, right? Get it from all angles. The only way you can know what the story is is by assessing the sum total of all the angles. So let me watch this nonsense. So I saw a clip on YouTube and it was about this, uh, what was he, a neck? he was a Dutch scientist or a Dutch uh, economist, but he spoke at Davos, which is, or Davos, which is um, a collection of the world leaders, economic leaders, global political leaders, etc., etc., etc. And they go there and they talk about the state of the world and how they're going to fix it and what they're going to do to make things better and basically set up the next few years of, you know, cooperations and, you know, what they're going to do about world hunger and poverty and da 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 da. So this Dutch scientist was uh, was approached and invited to speak to the uh, to the delegates that attended, and as he puts it, speak truth to power. So he basically just said, "How do we solve the world's economic problems? We have to start taxing the guys in this room." <laughs> right? Went down like a spoonful of shit. Right? 
And uh, so Tucker Carlson asked this Dutch, Dutch scientist to come on. And the interview starts, which wasn't aired, by the way, starts all very amicably. You know, oh, you know, Tucker Carlson giving him props for going in there and standing up to the man and standing up to the, you know, to the uh, to the global elite and all that stuff. And then the scientist basically just flips it on him. He's like, well, yeah, but you're one of them. You're part of the problem. You're a millionaire funded by billionaires and doing their bidding. <laughs> At which point Tucker Carlson flipped out, called him a piece of shit, fucking idiot, da 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 da. It's one of the greatest rants um, that I've heard. It's like a Bill O'Reilly style rant, you know, we'll do it live. Fuck it, we'll do it live, right? It's one of those. Um, and you don't see Tucker Carlson's face, you just hear his voice. But this Dutch scientist is just like, you know, Cool, calm, and collected. He's just like, no, you can't take the criticism, huh? I, I don't know why I did a, a Russian accent, but there you go. Um, he, he's like, oh, you can't take the criticism. I don't know what that accent was either, so I'm going to stop doing accents. <laughs> um, but he was like, oh, you can't take the criticism. And uh, he's like, I gave, Tucker Carlson's like, I gave you a chance to come on here and speak, and now you just fucked it all up, and you sound like an idiot, and da 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 it's fantastic. I just wanted to mention it because it's absurd and it goes along with the theme of our show, which is the absurdity. Um, and you got, it's like a six minute video, but you only probably need the last three minutes of it. But if you want the whole scope of it, it's about six minutes long, but it's fantastic. And this Dutch scientist or economist or whatever he is just sits there just staring into the camera laughing and just like, ah, I gotcha, basically called you out on your own shit and now you can't handle it, which was fantastic. And uh, yeah, <coughs> so give that a Google. Give that a Google. Or if you're trying to reduce your screen time and your reliance on the big tech companies in the world, don't. Use another one. Use something else. Use Don't use Bing because that's, you know, you know, one of the same. I wonder if AltaVista is still around. <laughs> um... I don't even know what what web what browser would you use if you didn't use Firefox, uh, Chrome, um, Bing, or I mean I don't even want to say Internet Explorer because even even Microsoft are telling you not to use Internet Explorer. Um, I don't even know what like browser you would use. So, anyways, staying with the absurd, we have to go and talk about Brexit, right? We have to talk about Brexit from a couple of angles, I think. Um, one being the fact that this independent party seems to have um, arisen out of the chaos of Brexit. So it's a, a new party that's starting to form that is made up of people from the Labour Party that have left over this quote-unquote anti-Semitic uh, culture within the Labour Party, which I just find absolutely hilarious. Um, and by Tories who are fed up with Theresa May's approach and conduct around handling Brexit and potentially leaving with a no deal um, rather than, you know, some form of a Brexit policy to which they're actually going through the PMQs now. Um, I've got it on in the background, but it's on mute. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn speaking at the moment, but I want to address this from a couple of just a couple of different angles because, again, sticking with the topic and the kind of the theme around absurdity, it's worth it's worth addressing this, and I've mentioned it before, 
in passing, but now that it's causing people to resign from a party, I just, we got to look at it for what it is. And it's an attack, I think, on weak leadership. Like anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, like France are now going to make like switching countries for a second, France are now going to make anti-Zionism, anti-Semitic. And this is where the anti-Semitism rhetoric goes, right? Now you can't, you can't say anything about the Jewish community. You can't say anything about the Israeli government. You can't say anything about, you know, their conduct against the Palestinians or you're, you're just a Jew hater. You're an anti-Semitic racist. Right? You're not a thoughtful, considered person who looks at the facts. You're just a Jew hater. You're anti-Semitic. Right? You're a Nazi. Right? This is where it goes. So once we start to say there is a problem within the Labour Party of anti-Semitism, because somebody might have spoken up about the treatment of the Palestinian people in relation to, you know, the Israeli government and what they're doing to them. Desegregate, they're segregating them. They're desettling them. You know, they're they're basically <clears throat> they're systematically moving them out, giving them nowhere to go, starving them out, removing all their resources, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? If you don't know the story, fucking look into it. But to call the Labour Party an anti-Semitic party is ridiculous, right? The National Socialist Party was a fucking anti-Semitic party. Look how that turned out. You think Jeremy Corbyn wants to be Hitler? You think the people are like, you think the Labour Party has people like Goebbels in it? And I'm not saying that you have to be on the, the absolute end of that extreme spectrum to be anti-Semitic because you don't have to be, of course, right? I'm not that stupid. But what I'm saying is, do you think we have a systemic problem of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party? I highly, highly doubt it. And I will say it again. If you criticize Israel, and this is my problem with the policy that's being passed in France with the anti-Zionism equaling anti-Semitism. If you criticize the Israeli government for anything that they do, full stop, including that of the issues around the Palestinian people, the subjugation of the Palestinian people, you are not an anti-Semite. You might be anti-Israel, but that doesn't make you an anti-Semite. That doesn't mean you want Jews wiped off the face of the planet. That doesn't mean that you hate Jews. That doesn't mean that you can't converse with them or you think they're less or you think they're, you know, these horrible individuals. That doesn't mean that. Just because you disagree with a, a country's policy doesn't make you a hater of its people. Can we be clear on that? For once and for all? Just because you're anti-Israel, and I've titled podcast episodes this, just because you're anti-Israel does not make you anti-Semitic. Just because you criticize Israel does not make you anti-Semitic. <clears throat> and the fact that France are considering an anti-Zionism uh, law that, that would make anti-Zionism speech or material or whatever... Anti-Zionism makes you anti-Semitic. 
They're going to write this into law. They're considering writing this into law in France now. And what that would do is remove, absolutely remove, any legal standpoint that you might have around freedom of speech or expression or, or anything like that, right? Think about what that does to journalism. You can no longer, under an anti-Zionism law, you would not be able to criticize Israel as a country, its government, or its policies. And anything to that effect, you would be considered anti-Semitic. There you would be lined up for conducting a hate crime or reveling in hate speech. And this is not a road we can go down. It's not a road that is tenable, has no long-term outcome other than violence and pushback. So I will say it again. If you criticize the Israeli government for its treatment and subjugation of the Palestinian people, you are not in any way, shape, or form anti-Semitic unless you're an anti-Semite. If you're a fucking racist, then you're a fucking racist. But just because in its singular approach, you might criticize the Israeli government for its subjugation, I'll say it again, its subjugation and systematic weaning and segregation of the Palestinian people. They're trying to wipe these people off the face of the fucking earth and they're doing it like cigarettes. Real slow, over a number of decades, they're wearing them down, wearing them down, wearing them down, attacking them, wearing them down, wearing them down, wearing them down, attacking them, moving them out of their houses, building new houses in their place, controlling the supply of goods and services, basic raw materials, basic amenities that they need to survive. They're all being rationed. And nobody is doing a fucking thing about it. So don't give me any shit if I talk about the Israeli government as the war criminals that they are. Because they are. What they're doing to the Palestinian people, and I know we can have a conversation about Hamas and you know the, the, the terror organization they are as well. But you know what breeds terrorism? Subjugation. Of course, religious ideology promotes that as well. But the religious ideology is the part that makes Israel subjugate. It's one of the reasons it makes Israel subjugate the Palestinian people. And it's been going on for 50 years. So I don't know when the world community is going to wake up to the fact that this is a problem. And you should be able to openly explore, openly discuss this without fear of being called a racist. Because a, a racist, you know... Calling someone a racist is just like a conversation stopper. You stop the debate, you stop the conversation, you stop the flow of information, and you can never make ground when that is the other person's position. If I don't say something, if I say something that you don't like and you call me a racist, then I spend all my time trying to defend myself against why I'm not a racist, and that makes me seem like more of a racist because why would I need to defend myself if I'm not a racist? Right, Even though you just called me when we were trying to have a civil discussion about the geopolitical structure of the Middle East and specifically the Israeli and Palestinian territories. I will say it one final time, just because you are a critic of Israel does not make you a hater of Jewish people. If you criticize Israel based on their treatment of the Palestinian people, that does not make you anti-Semitic. And we need to stop this because it's a slippery slope. This is calling, you know, this is calling people Nazis because they don't agree with your progressive point of view. A point which has been made many times over. But if you call everything a Nazi, you will fail to see the one walking down the street ready to bat you over the head with a baton.
or lock you up in an internment camp. You will not recognize what real danger is and what real evil looks like if you consider everybody that disagrees with your point of view evil and an enemy. So we have to have some nuance. We have to have some consideration in terms of the complexity of these arguments. The nature and why somebody might support one part of the conversation or the argument or the other. And we have to be willing to engage from an open-minded position. So I'm going to call this episode something along the lines of we have to recognize absurdity or make sure, like something like that. But this is, the theme of today is definitely absurd, right? And the last thing I'm going to talk about, I was, I was going to talk about, um, maybe I will at the end, I don't know. The other thing I want to talk about is, um, is the absurdity of depression and mental health. You know, something that we can't, we can't seem to get our heads around. You know, and maybe it's the propagation of bad diets, bad lifestyle, overstressed lifestyle, work, you know, the work-life grind, you know, a lack of resources, financial security, you know, uh, broken childhood, abusive upbringing, alcoholism, drug abuse, you know, anything like this, or just a genetic predisposition to mental illness. But... I used to be one of these people back in the day that would say, oh yeah, like if you commit suicide, that's the coward's way out. And as I've grown, matured, studied, had more life experience, you realize how truly foolhardy that position is. Until you have firsthand experience with depression yourself, or with somebody who is very, very close to you, you don't understand what a hindrance it is and what a disease it actually is. It's the same with anxiety. I used to think, and sometimes I still do, because I think some people kind of overplay anxiety a little bit, but those that suffer from real anxiety, panic attacks, this is a disease. This is a real problem that needs a solution. Mental illness as a whole is just something that is we're in the grips of. And things like social media and the reinforcement of, you know, of 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 needing this 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 validation on social media. This feeds all of this nonsense, right? The dopamine hits you get and all of the things that come along with that. And trying to chase those likes and chase that validation, chase that interaction and chase that community building, chasing that audience. All of this stuff comes into play in terms of exacerbating the problem around mental health. But mental health is a motherfucker, man. And we really need to do better as a society um, and the UK specifically as a country in, in looking at it from from a ground level up. And I mean that from, you know, from early childhood all the way up. We need to do better to nurture our kids healthy, uh, you know, a more healthy lifestyle, a more nutritious lifestyle, a more active lifestyle. We need to be on board with this. We need to make this, like if there was a national emergency in America, it would be mental health based around drug addiction and opioid addictions, right? We need to do better with this. And I reference this because a comedian that I only just found out about, he committed suicide on the weekend 
and his closest friends didn't see it coming. Two hours before he did it, he was on Periscope chatting with fans, you know. He did a comedy spec, like one of the funniest guys. Now that I'm looking into him, one of the funniest guys I've ever seen. I mean, just amazing. His name's Brody Stevens, if you don't know. And if you like comedy, it's a little sad to think about, you know, laughing at someone who's just recently taken their own life. But he was truly put on the planet to make people laugh. But he had some demons. And you never know the demons that are residing deep within somebody. And I think that's why we need compassion. I think that's why we need nuance. I think that's why we need to have patience. And I lose my shit. Of course. I lose my shit when I shouldn't. Of course. I'm short with people who maybe just would do a little better if I gave them a little more time. For sure. But I think we just need to be attentive to this mental health thing, man, because it affects people and you don't know what's buried deep inside a person. And it's always that sad clown, right? It's always that sad clown, smiling on the outside, torn to be torn to pieces on the inside. You don't know the struggle somebody is facing, going through and, and, and wrestling with. We just stay within our own bubbles. And it's not for everybody to take on everybody else's problem. I'm not saying that. But we need awareness to these things. We need awareness to the fact that people don't talk about it. The people need to be able to talk about it. Work can grind you down. Life can grind you down, right? What's that speech that Rocky um, Sylvester Stallone does in, in Rocky Balboa? Ain't nothing gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And I think in the mental health arena, we all could use a bit of a win. But you can't do that by just moving forward. You have to keep moving forward, most definitely. But you need to move forward with support. So don't be afraid to talk to somebody. Don't be afraid to admit you've got some issues. People who judge you for admitting your vulnerabilities are not worth a goddamn second of your time. Don't suffer in silence. Don't struggle on your own. There are things you can do to help yourself and for other people to help you too. And you'd be surprised, man. If you confide in somebody, you might be surprised to hear what they have to say. You might just uncover somebody going through a similar struggle to yourself. And then you might have just uncovered a support system. I don't know. But I wanted to bring it up because it's absurd how we put these superficial like solutions in place to deal with these things. But we're not really dealing with these things. And I think we need more attention on it. Because ignoring it is truly absurd. So I didn't mean to finish on, an, uh, on, a, on a low like that. But I think it was poignant to do because, you know, this Brody Stevens guy was, you know, for all intents and purposes, he was loving life. He was a rising comedic star. You know, he was doing big things. He was in the hangover. He was really finding his, you know, finding his stride. And then, like that, done commits suicide.
And that's and that's a shame because now we've lost a great talent. Now we've lost a a bringer of joy. Now we've we've lost somebody who whose sole purpose it was on the planet to make other people was to make other people happy. And then yet deep down in in the bowels of his existence he was he was being torn apart. And that's and that's a shame. And the fact that we're not doing more about that as a community, as governments, as a global community is truly absurd. So I hope we can fix it. Um, the last, very last thing I'm going to talk about that I'm going to get the fuck out of here and to end on a positive note is <coughs> switching lanes a little bit. You guys know I'm a huge MMA fan. You guys know I'm a huge uh, UFC fan. And this week, my favorite fighter of all time officially retired from MMA. I'm talking about George St. Pierre, GSP from uh, Montreal, Canada. Uh, the most dominant welterweight in the history of the sport and in my opinion one of the top three fighters of all time a guy who revolutionized the sport revolution revolutionized training in the sport nutrition in the sport uh cognitive therapy in the sport like he was really really pushed it out there he was a he was a huge proponent of removing um performance enhancing drugs from the sport he was a big big fighter and a believer in getting that out of the sport um you know he spent his whole entire career beating guys that were you know juiced to the gills um not to mention you know one of his um last fights against johnny Hendricks, who you know was clearly a juice head and you know george st pierre took you know some of the most damage in in that fight that he had in his entire career and, you know, we don't know what the outcomes of that is going to be long term, but ultimately he, you know, he persevered, got through it and uh, and was a huge proponent for, you know, for cleaning up the sport. So I just wanted to take a couple of minutes just to say uh, congratulations to him. Not that he'll hear this, but, you know, just give a big fucking shout out to him because, you know, there there's not many like that. And in terms of MMA, he was like... I equate him as like kind of like Kobe, but kind of like Michael Jordan, right? So I'm not talking about necessarily the greatest of all time. I'm talking about a game changer, right? Before Michael Jordan, we were in the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird era, Julius Irving era, right? Below the ring for a lot of the, you know, wasn't as dynamic. Then Jordan came along and he switched the whole game up. Right, flipped the whole game on his head, showed a different way of training, a, a different level of com competitiveness, a different way of uh, of commercializing, a, a different way of of monetizing the sport, right? And was a champion through and through and through. Well, GSP was that as well. He revolutionized the sport. He showed what a true mixed martial artist really was. No specialization. It was all. It was all specialized. He was an expert in everything and he could put it all together and he could strategize the way that he needed to to beat any kind of opponent, to nullify their strategy and their strengths, to be able to, you know, stay on top of the game for a decade. He was a champion for a fucking decade. It's not, it, that is not done anymore. Plus he was from Canada. Plus he was a super nice guy. A guy who had his own demons, for sure. 
you know, he claims that he was abducted by aliens and, you know, he's got his weird, like, kind of quirks and idiosyncrasies as well. But as an athlete, as a competitor, as a as an ambassador of MMA, if we had more GSPs, the sport would be in a lot better place. And he is an absolute credit to the sport, a credit to, you know, the country of Canada, to um, to the UFC and uh, and and I hope he's not retired. I think he might be tempted to come out for the right matchup and the right money, and uh, and do one of those kind of infamous, infamous kind of Jordan you know comebacks where you know he taps the floor, Madison Square Gardens after scoring like fifty three points, and and the announcers like he is now back, right? I think that's a that that could potentially be a GSP moment because look what he did after four years off. He brought himself up from welterweight to middleweight and he beat Bisbing convincingly, you know, took that second title in a different weight class. And I think personally he could come back and do that at 155 right now against Khabib. So we'll see what the future holds. If he retires and, and sails off into the sunset on his own terms, then fantastic. Um, you know, uh, all the best to him. If he does come back, I will be the first one to buy the pay-per-view or stay up real late to watch it because he is my all-time favorite fighter. Um, he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best to ever do it. And uh, and the sport's worse off without him. So um, hopefully he'll still have his fingers in the game and his, you know, his, his mitts on the, on the game and, and will still influence it, which I'm sure he probably will. But for now, it is uh, you know a fond farewell to him as a fighter. And, uh, and all the best in retirement. So maybe a little positive uh, uplift on the end of the episode there to, to, to touch on GSP. And, uh, and I think that's a wrap, guys. So I think we're going we're gonna to end it there. Um, like I said to you at the beginning of the episode, ideally we would get three episodes out this week. I think I can definitely do another one. If I can do another two, we're definitely going to do that, um, which would make three for the week, as I just said, and that would be a hell of an output. So that's the goal, but we'll see what time allows, what schedule allows, uh, what work dictates, and, and how I'm feeling overall. But this is episode 73, and that is a wrap. Um, I think it's been a good one. It's a little longer than normal, 117. I'm trying to keep them to an hour, but I wanted to speak on some shit today, so I'm not, I'm not mad that it went a little over. Um, but let's hear from you guys. I want to know about the screen time challenge. I want to know what you think about the the, the anti-Israel rhetoric. I want, to, I want to know what you guys think about all of it. Um, so again, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. We're available, so come check us out. Appreciate you listening, guys. Um, we'll be back soon. But until then, have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your evening or the rest of your day if you're listening this to this tomorrow. And uh, until next time, guys, all the best.